Hello and welcome to episode two of series three of the Right for Your Life podcast. And as I said last week, um, Mike is no longer with us. Don't worry, he's perfectly fine, but it means that he won't be on the podcast for the foreseeable few episodes. Thankfully, I'm joined by Emma Newman. Hi, Emma. Hello. Hello. I didn't eat Mike. <laughs> good. That's a good. That's good to know. <laughs> um, so, um, Emma, you are uh, an author extraordinaire. You also have a fantastic blog, which is where I first heard of you, and you were also on uh, a very one of the better, I think, episodes of the last series of the Rifle Life podcast. Um, so, for those people who didn't hear you talk then, I think it'd be good to start with a bit of a, a bit of an introduction as to who you are, what you do, and um, and uh, what you're up to at the moment, I suppose, with your writing. <laughs> Hello. Um, I'm yes, as you say, I'm a writer. Um, my current project is an urban fantasy series uh, which is going to be published by Angry Robot Books next year which I'm extraordinarily excited about. I'm also an audiobook narrator and I write short stories um, and novels all in the kind of speculative fiction arena. Um, So that's what I do. Okay and you're currently doing the the Split Worlds project aren't you? So I think we, we, we may talk about that later on so maybe a very quick introduction as to what that is now. Um, yeah, the this, this Split Worlds, um, it started off life as something I was going to do by myself. Um, I managed to secure venture capital funding to write it and do it all. Um, and uh, I started, I wrote the first book and uh, then ended up going to a book launch party. And someone there said, wow, that sounds really weird. You should tell Lee Harris of Angry Robot Books what you've done because I've never heard of anyone doing that before. So I told him and he looked at me like I was absolutely mental and said, what? (laughs) I think he was just so curious that he asked to read the book to see, you know, this crazy woman who'd done this crazy thing. And um, he he loved it and uh, kind of asked if they could publish it instead. And I said, yeah. So it was all very accidental. Um, But basically it's, it's, um, how, how can I describe it? It's kind of a bit like Downton Abbey but with evil fairies and mad sorcerers. Um, I'd like to say it's a bit more like Upstairs Downstairs, because I like Upstairs Downstairs more than Downton Abbey. But um, you know, Downton Abbey's the, the one of the moment. Either way, it sounds extremely exciting. <laughs> it's very quirky um, urban fantasy. It's kind of got elements of noir and um, mystery and, um, and really, really scary evil, evil fairies because they're all evil <laughs> marvellous well I must apologise for my phone going off that would never have happened if Mike was here he would not allow <laughs> that kind of thing um, but I'm in charge now and we can have all kinds of noises um, ok fantastic well before we talk about our subject for the day which is going to be prolificness and I looked it up it is a word so it's the idea that um, how prolific do you need to be as a writer how prolific should you be um, and I, the, the reason I thought this would be a good conversation for us to have is because I worry that I am not a prolific writer. I certainly haven't been over the last couple of years uh, for one reason or another, or another that I will come on to. And it seems to me that you are pumping stories out there um, left, right and centre like nobody's business. <laughs> so I thought that would be a good subject for us to talk about. And, you know, people often, I think one of the things that writers, especially new writers, kind of struggle with is kind of... Um, or. or, or or are always encouraged to do is to is to write frequently. Kind of, it's the whole kind of get your bum in the chair type of philosophy. So um, I think we'll talk about that 
Uh, I think that'll be an interesting subject to cover. Before that, though, I did mention to uh, Mike on last week's uh, podcast, the first one of the new series, that I've been doing some book signings um, in uh, Waterstones, uh, various branches of Waterstones, which for people in the... uh, or non-UK people is kind of the the biggest branch of the biggest bookstore branch in uh, in the UK. Pretty much the only one these days. Mm. Um, and I said that I was. Um, I said that it, my my experience so far is that it was a little bit awkward, slightly embarrassing at times because obviously I'm a new author. No one's really heard of me, so there's lots of me kind of trying to make eye contact with people, smiling politely and hoping that someone comes over to speak to me, which does happen, but not all the time. There is a lot of uh, there are plenty of gaps where I'm just kind of sat on my own at a desk. But that's fine. I'm perfectly happy to be there. But what I said I was going to do in Huddersfield, so the weekend, uh, Saturday just gone, I was in Huddersfield uh, in the north of England, and I said that I was going to take cupcakes, and I was going to try and try and lure people in to talk to me by offering them a free cake. <laughs> it's a good idea, isn't it? Yeah, did it work? Unfortunately, I was late, so I didn't actually have time to go and get cakes. Oh, no! Uh, I know, I know. So I thought I'd better ex- explain that, that I didn't actually manage to do the experiment, but I, I will do it next time. But a couple of things did happen which I thought were... Um, uh, well, one was just funny, but the other one was kind of, kind of interesting because it's, and it's something that I found quite difficult, so I'll see what you think. The first one was just a boy, he must have been, what, 10 or 11, he came up to me and he said, ''Are you a celebrity?'' <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And I thought, well, you know what, I'm, I'm sat at a front of a bookshop, this is my book, maybe I do look like a celebrity. But of course, I couldn't, I couldn't say yes. So I said, well, no, not, not really, but this is my book, and I did write it. And he just sort of looked at me, kind of, almost sort of looked through me, and said, well, you look like a celebrity. And I thought, what, what a compliment. I mean, is, could, I, could I have asked for anything more from the day? If I only sold one book, which I didn't, I sold six books but if I'd not sold any then it would have been nice just to have some lad come up to me and say that I look like a celebrity (laughs) Um, so that was the first thing Um, and the second thing was um, not really funny at all but I had quite a nice long chat with a woman she must have been don't want to be presumptuous but I guess late 60s something like that and um, we had a chat about the book and she asked me what it was about and I said to her it was about um, in fact it was quite the start of the conversation I think I used this sentence but I said that it was it's about a guy whose wife's um, had her second stroke and he decides to keep it a secret and the reason that he can't this is the line I used the reason that he can't handle um, sort of watching the decline of his wife is um, is uh, well because it's really difficult but the way he copes with it is to write notes so I gave a bit of a synopsis and then we had she didn't mention anything we had a nice long chat about the book and how she was looking for a book for her husband she talked I think we talked about her friend in Torquay or something like that <laughs> and um, and then at the end she sort of uh, and I thought I'd made a sale um, and then she said to me, as she went off, she said, well, it sounds really interesting and I wish you all the best, but I don't think I can buy it for my husband because he had to watch me decline from, uh, decline from having had a stroke. And I just, it completely floored me. And, you know, obviously what I should have said was, oh, wow, that's, that's amazing. You're looking, you know, you look, because I had no idea. She did look fantastic. There was no indication that that was the case. But I should have sort of engaged in conversation. But for some reason, I was flummoxed by it i wasn't expecting it just because we'd had this long conversation and um and i and i just sort of said oh you know thank you very much nice to meet you and that and that was it but it does it has i mean i don't know i don't know how, whether you've had anything like that happen before so it's happened to me a couple of times where people who've had a have had a stroke or suffered um you know had basically what i've been writing about has seriously affected someone in real life and it's been a bit awkward at first but then i've kind of you know just engaged them and shown that i know what i'm talking about and been able to 
chat about. Have you ever had anything like that happen to you, Emma? Well, I mean, the only book, the only kind of novel um, that I've been to events um, with is 20 Years Later, and, and that's um, kind of, you know, post-apocalyptic, fantastical stuff. So I, I'm never at risk of being in a conversation yeah. where someone comes up to me and says, well, you know, it's funny, I was just living through the post-apocalypse the other day and <laughs> saw a really awful act of violence. And, you know, I don't have that that situation because it's speculative. Yes. Um, one of the things with From Dark Places is that they're... Uh, stories in there um, that's a short story collection um, and there are quite a few stories in there where there are people who um, have mental disorders um, and uh, one of them uh, has really quite severe OCD um, and I've had lots of people who have kind of contacted me saying that they really enjoyed the stories and it made them think about the disorder differently um, and that they've known people who've had some of those symptoms and things like that it's, it's not written that's not the focus. The, the, the mm. protagonist just happens to suffer from the disorder. Um, but that's, I guess that's the closest that I've been able to come. Yeah, I've had, uh, more than, I've not really had anyone say that they've suffered from, a, they've had a stroke or anything like that, but I have had quite a lot of people say that, um, uh, that, that they were carers and they really, they really yeah. were able to... Yeah, I, I, mean, I think that's, I mean, because for the purpose, people who are listening may not realise that I've, I've read A's Frangelica and I adored it. And I think that um, the whole thing about carers in our society is a lot of them are invisible. Mm. People don't know. You know, the people you're walking past as you're doing your weekly shop, so many of them could be carrying that burden. Mm. And you're completely unaware of it. And it really spoke, it spoke to me on that level that this man is, is suffering so much. I mean, the anguish. Um, you know, what an awful situation to be living through and that so many people do that without any support whatsoever. It's true. And I think that's a really, you know, that's something that can really connect and speak with people. It's mm. a very real world thing. I mean, you know, they're, they're very different kinds of books that we write. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that's hugely relevant today. Yes. Well, it's very kind words, by the way, as well. Thank you. It's very kind of you to say. You should all go out and buy it immediately. Yes, do go out and buy it. I've told people, actually. I have said <laughs> those very words. Go and buy it immediately. That's very kind of you. Very kind. Um, okay, enough about me. Um, I did say last week that it wouldn't be all about me, and so far it pretty much has been. Um, so, prolificness. So, the reason that I wanted to talk about this, so uh, this, I think there's a, a slight distinction to make at, at the start, and it might be that um, it might be that they're not actually different things. I think that they are, but it, uh, we, we'll see. So, the idea of, of prolificness. So, the idea of you hear about people being prolific writers, um, and sometimes it's difficult to know what that means usually in the publishing context it actually means that someone probably has a book that comes out every year so they 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 write prolifically and they've always got a book coming out so it's actually about about publishing um and the alternative to that i guess my other option is 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 there a certain prolificness in in just writing so it's not actually what you what you put out there but just the very fact that you sit down and write perhaps for several hours every day Mm -hmm. um so I thought that was an interesting place to start. Do you think that it's important to make that distinction? Well, that's a good question. I think the thing is, it, it depends on whether you're thinking about well, how people perceive you and how you perceive yourself. So if you think about the number of books that are being published every year, that's what everybody else sees. There's an actual thing that they can point to and say, yes, that has been produced by that author. So they, they are clearly writing Whereas if you're only concerned about satisfying, you know, your, your own 
theory or your own prep to create, then writing every day and writing X number of stories or X number of novels per year is what's important to you. And, and I still think that they're, they're kind of the same thing. Um, I don't know if that really answers the question. But no, it, it does. I, I think one of the things that I've... That I, um I mean, part of the, again, let's go back to what I said at the start. Part of the reason I wanted to talk about this is because, theoretically, the only... Well, not theoretically, very much actually. The only thing that people can read of mine is my novel. It's for Angelica. I don't have, um, like, a lot of short stories floating around the internet or published in lots of journals or anything like that. I have a couple of stories that have been published, um, that were published before, um, before I started on the novel, really. But for years, it was all about all about the novel, really. So any any writing time that I had, it was all plied into, plowed into um, into A's for Angelica. It was kind of that was very much my thing, and I think I think last week I described it as my life's work because that's kind of true. I haven't really focused on anything else, mm. um, and so I. I uh, but the the writing, the, you know, the amount of writing that it took to get to that point was a lot. I mean, I was, I was writing all the time because um, that's kind of how you get novels finished. Um, but I just think, in terms of actually publishing, I'm not putting things out there all the time. Whereas, uh, whereas you are, I guess, aren't you? You, you have, the, I mean, the split, split worlds uh, short stories do go out. Is it weekly? Yeah, well, they, they're part of a very specific project. So mm. um, that's something I didn't mention actually when I was talking about it before. That the whole idea was that for a year and a day leading up to the release of the first novel, I would release a weekly short story, and they're only anywhere between a thousand to fourteen hundred words at the very most so they're flashes they're very very short um and the thing that i wanted to do was to it was helping me build the world so there's a hell of a lot of world building involved in it and um it also i hope gives people an opportunity to you know have their whistles wetted and, and want to to read the novels um, but I'm also this, I'm really, really geeky about details and depth in kind of long-term television series and things that I've become obsessed about. I'm actually very obsessive. So what I wanted to do was to create threads and characters and cameos in the short stories that will come up in the books. Hmm. And so if people have read all of the stories and then go to read the books, there may be occasional characters or throwaway comments um, which the people who have read the stories would go, oh, I know what happened. I know what actually happened that they're referring to. Yes. Um, and it would give them a, like an extra level of depth, whereas if someone comes to the novels having not read any of the stories, it doesn't you know, detract from the novels in any way. Um, so I, kind of, I guess I'm catering for people who are just kind of as geeky as I am. Um, in terms of releasing and, and stuff like that, and this, this kind of thing that you're talking about where you're saying, well, I've only got this one novel out and I'm looking at you and you've got loads of things out. I'm worried that there's a spectre here that, that we're not talking about, which is that whole thing of looking at other authors and comparing yourself to them and thinking, oh, man, I haven't, I haven't done that. I'm not doing that. I'm, and this question of should, you know, how much should they write? I think you said it in, in the intro. And I think that's, that's a really dangerous way to think about all of this stuff. Um, because we, we write what we write, and I think that the word should, in connection to anything to do with writing, um, needs to be banned, <laughs> quite frankly, because all that it does is it makes us miserable. You know, this whole thing of you should write X number of words a day or you should be constantly putting stuff out there, all it does is, is makes us unhappy and feel pressured. 
and we all have different approaches we have different ways we do things you know there is no way on earth that once my 54 stories are written and the first novel has come out that I'm going to continue to write a short story every week it's exhausting and you know it's it's a a very finite thing that I decided to do and it's almost like a challenge as well Hmm. but it's it's not a normal um, level of productivity for me I feel because at the same time I mean the 38th story was released today and in that time from like last October the beginning of October to now I've written um, two novels and I'm 75,000 words into the third um, and I'm quite tired (laughs) <laughs> and um, it's, you know, it's not something that I would necessarily recommend that people do, but it's my full time job. That's the other thing that I wanted to say is that, you know, all of these other people, because I look at other sci fi writers and they've got awards and they've got short stories here, there and everywhere. And, and I think, hmm, I haven't, I haven't done that nearly as much. I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. We're, we're all guilty of feeling that way. Um, but I think that, I think I've just completely forgotten what I was about to say. Damn it. Well, I think what you said before that was pretty much absolutely spot on, and I and and I couldn't have, have put it better myself. It's kind of what I've had to try and remind myself: this idea of of comparing myself to other people and the idea of should. I think those two things are, are so are so uh, important to try and remember, or, or to remember to, to not do. Really, there is there is no should. I think you're absolutely right. But do you- oh, I know what it was now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's quite right. It's an excellent filling on my part. You go for it. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, there's my life preserver. Yeah, what what you were saying there about the the should thing. When people say you should be writing X number of words a day or whatever it is they they do, they don't talk about individual circumstances. Now, I've written a crazy, crazy, crazy amount of words over the last year. This is the first year of my life I've been a full-time writer, though. I mean, it's my day job, for goodness sake. All I have to do is make sure that my child is clean and fed that my husband is is clean and fed and and vaguely happy and remembers what I look like and then the rest of it is the split worlds so you know I would hate people to look at what I'm producing and going oh man I'm I'm not doing enough because they're probably holding down a full-time job and you know looking after children and, and all kinds of things so I think that when you compare yourself to other people, it, it's with absolute ignorance of what their life is like and what your own life is like and how it can impact upon our creativity. Now, when, when things happen that are really stressful, as you well know, mm. it can destroy creativity and it can, it can sometimes ignite it. But all of these things have a cost and... There's only so much we have in, in, in the pot. And if, there, if life is doing stuff and draining that pot, there's nothing you can do about it. I, again, I couldn't agree more. I wrote a post, um, it was a good two or three years ago, but I think it's still the most commented on post on Write For Your Life, the blog. Um, and it was called um, Ignore Anyone Who Tells You To Write, Write, Write. And I think there is a, I think there is a, a fundamental problem with writing advice, especially on the internet. Um, usually offered by, I would argue, people who perhaps don't have the qualifications to necessarily offer any sorts of writing advice. But it's almost always along the lines of get your bum in the chair, I think is the phrase that's often used, and just write. And, you know, I get, I've, I've read that so many times. And, and I mm-hmm. think, I think I, I read it, and, and my first reaction is, yeah, you're probably right, I probably should, <laughs> I probably should do that. 
and then I and then I think to myself, hang on, I'm quite I'm I'm quite an experienced writer. I, I I write for a living, kind of that's been my day job for quite a long time, and I've written a novel which has now been published. So maybe I can forgive myself if I've not written that much this year. What with mm. having had two kids, got married last year, got a new house, maybe I can sort of forgive myself. So that's me. I think I can kind of cope with it because I've got the kind of a bit of you know a bit of background and a bit of experience. My Absolutely. Po- my point in that post when I wrote that, and I think it still applies now, and I think it's kind of what you're getting at as well. I always, I always think, what if I was a new writer? What if I was a really talented new writer, and I just started writing my novel, and it was brilliant, it was absolutely fantastic. And then I thought, well, I just, you know, I've got to a point where I'm struggling a little bit, so I'll try and find some advice from a reputable website on the internet <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> and that's the advice you get is that you're, and the phrase is often, you know, you're not a writer unless you write. And I know there were points. I know maybe we're taking it too too literally, but essentially, you know, very rarely does anyone give that kind of advice and then sort of say, you know, unless life is completely taking you over for a couple of months, then don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I I agree. I, I think that there. It almost seems to be kind of, uh, what, how can I expect? It's almost like an agenda, but I don't think it's a conscious agenda. But a lot of this advice um, is, is very much about, make, it almost automatically makes people feel guilty. Mm. Um, and one of the things, because I've been to lots of events over the past year and met lots of people, and so many times young writers, and I don't mean in terms of age, I mean in terms of, the amount of time they've really wanted to write or are taking it seriously, that kind of young, mm. have come to me and said, oh, I get to 30,000 words and I, I can't write anymore. Or I've had this idea and then it transpires they've had this idea for 10 years they haven't written. They ask me what to do. And there's a really awkward moment because I keep thinking, okay, who the hell am I to tell people how to write? And so I always kind of prefix it with, well, in my experience, and this is not the same necessarily for you, but blah, blah, blah. And I'll talk around the issues. And then a lot of it is fear. Um, mm. And I think this whole kind of putting yourself in the chair, making sure your backside is in the chair, is, is one of those techniques that people have kind of latched onto as the holy grail of procrastination prevention. And that there's a, that procrastination is the greatest enemy. But what I found writing a lot and writing every day and things like that is that sometimes I don't want to write a scene and it's because there is something wrong with the scene and if I was just kind of forcing myself and bludgeoning myself into writing it as it currently is in my head I'd be writing something that's wrong and the development of instinct as to when I'm just being rubbish and lazy and I don't want to and there's something wrong with this scene and I need to process what's going on a bit more before I actually start committing some words to the page. They're really difficult to tell the difference between when you're a young writer. And so what worries me about all of this stuff on the web with the whole, you must write, you must write, you must write above all else, um, is that people could potentially be so mired in guilt that A, they stop writing anyway, and, and B, don't allow themselves to develop those instincts. Does that make sense? It does make sense, and it is quite—it's quite stifling, I find, and and, mm. and, and it kind of—it's a—it's a bit double-edged, really, because if you—if you—if you do stop writing for any length of time, it's very difficult to get started again, and that's kind of where I'm at now, really. Um, uh, but at the same time, it's—it's—it is it is guilt. So there's no there's no other word for it. You kind of do feel like a, there's a weight on your shoulders if you if you um, if you're struggling to find the time to 
write all the write all of the time or to even even kind of write once a week um, for whatever reason uh, and then everywhere you turn you're being told that that's exactly what you what you should be doing if you're to get out of the mire almost I mean mm-hmm. I, I think there's a strong chance that a lot of bloggers have just read Stephen King's on writing and decided to kind of just take his word as absolute red and then just post it on their on their websites I, yeah it's it's tricky isn't it because I, I mean one of the things that I wrote about on, on my blog which I've you know we've, we're talking about me being prolific and I haven't blogged for weeks partly because I didn't have an internet connection for over a month but also because I'm writing the third book and so I'm very, I have to stay immersed in fiction writing and I don't want to do any other kind of writing at the moment but one of the things that I've blogged about in the past is the need to experiment because we're all different and we approach our lives differently and we're productive in different ways even just from very base level um, whether you're a morning person or a late set person all of these little differences mean that we're all going to have different ways to achieve our optimum productivity because that's what we're really aspiring towards here isn't it it's it's being the best we can be and writing the most that we feasibly can and the best that we possibly can would you agree with that that's that's kind of why everyone's looking for this advice and why we're all trying so hard all the time absolutely yes and because it's hard it is it's just hard work isn't it (laughs) it is just it is just hard but because we're all so different um i think that the the first thing to do is to ignore everyone's advice even mine listen to this podcast and then switch it off and never think about it again but if there's any one thing to take away is the need for experimentation because it seems to me there have been so many people that have come and spoken to me at these events and said oh, I've been trying so hard to do a thousand words a day. And, uh, you know, I, I just, it, we're, you know, I get stuck and all this kind of stuff. And when I've said to them, well, have, have you thought that that might not be the right approach? Have you tried a different approach? They've been so shocked. And they said, well, you know, Ray Bradbury wrote for a thousand words a day. And, yep. and I think Stephen King maybe is a thousand words a day or whatever. And they'll trot off some names and I'll be, yeah, but, but you're not them. Yeah. And everyone has their own rhythm. And that's one of the things that I did before I embarked upon the Split Worlds project, was experimented with different times of day, different word counts to aim for, sometimes not even aiming for word counts, having different markers of, of kind of progress, all different kind of things, um, semi-scientifically, just you know, monitoring what I was doing until I hit upon this sweet spot of, okay, it seems to be that when I'm at my best, I can write 4,000 words a day in four 1,000-word sprints, but I am incapable of doing anything else in my life. You know, the house does not get cleaned. You know, I barely have a conversation with my husband because I have to just stay in that space. At the moment, I'm doing 3,000 words a day because there's life going on. Mm. And there's no way that I could have gone to uh, someone for investment and said, I'm going to write this, this series of books and there's going to be this, that and the other and I'm going to do all this other stuff. If I hadn't worked out how to write those books in a time frame. Just, and and that's, that's one of the things that I think people are scared to do because there are all of these so-called, in inverted commas, experts out there saying this is what you should do they're almost scared to just try and see what works for them and to, to fiddle with all of these kind of so-called rules until they find what they want to do. And whatever they come up with, if they feel good, then it's right for them. And everyone else can go hang. Absolutely. Very well said. Um, the idea about having um, a time frame is an interesting one as well, because that sounds almost like a time frame could be switched with deadline. Um, 
And it's one thing that I've always found extremely useful is to is to have a deadline. So whenever, um, whenever I've even even if I've um, so I guess when I was doing my MA, for example, or my undergraduate degree, I would have very very literal deadlines where I absolutely had to get a piece of work handed in. Um, but I found that I had to set myself deadlines thereafter, and, and it was how I got my novel finished. It's like, well, I just have to have this done like by Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was less about a thousand words a day. It was more about, well, I have to get it done by this point. And that, yeah. that gave me the freedom to sometimes spend an entire day on a single paragraph. And, and, I'm, and, and that, I mean, that's not an exaggeration or a joke. I mean, I would have, I, I have done that with, uh, I did do that with uh, Angelica. I would spend an entire day on a paragraph, just getting the commas in the right place, the full stops, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, that was a good day. And, and because I hadn't said I have to write a thousand words a day, I was, it kind of gave me the freedom to get it right almost. Yeah. Um, so how has that worked with you in terms of uh, deadlines? Because that's, that's kind of, I mean, you're, you're I, I actually think you have, um, by the sounds of it, a very kind of professional approach to writing. You, t- and you inevitably have to, and of course, as soon as you get a publishing deal, it, it is a professional thing. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, I think there was a very um, important transition period between... Uh, being someone who wanted to write and couldn't because I was so screwed up about it and then getting unscrewed up about it and then clearing out the pipes, which was like the first, I don't know, 250,000 words I wrote were just so utterly pants and absolute dross. But that was kind of flushing through all of the crap that I'd accumulated over all of the years that I hadn't written because I didn't write for 10 years. I wrote all my life to 17, then stopped writing for 10 years, then started again. And then... When I um, wrote 20 years later, um, that was when I was starting to write properly. And um, there was a momentum behind it. And it wasn't as if there was a deadline or even a desire to finish it by a certain point. It was, I have to get this out of my head before it explodes, that kind of feeling. And then as time went on and I started writing short stories when I was obsessing about trying to get 20 years later published, um, I was kind of more interested in... um, writing prompts and I started my short story club and got people to send in like prompts for short stories Mm. um and I was more interested in that than kind of I try to get one done a month um and that was the kind of the vague deadline and then something started to change I wrote the second and third books of the 20 years later trilogy whilst I was experimenting as I was talking about before that was when I really learned how to be the the most productive writer that I can be um, and then with the split worlds, it was okay. I don't want to do anything other than write fiction. How am I going to be able to do that professionally? Because this is what I have to. Do. I couldn't bear to write SEO press releases anymore. I, I was well, <laughs> I just couldn't do it anymore. It was making me so miserable. And yet I was the main breadwinner at home. Um, so I had to come up with something completely different. And then it absolutely was a professional thing because it. The, the livelihood of my family depended on me delivering novels and stories on time of a high enough quality to be able to actually earn back the, the investment that was mm. being put into them. Um, and that doesn't mean to say that all writers have to approach it professionally, but saying that the writers I've met who are published um, and who have very successful careers, they are utterly professional mm. and they, they don't, you know, nonce about kind of saying 
oh well I, I might I might write something next month I might write something next year um, in this kind of you know romanticized view of kind of creative people that kind of crops up in films all the time mm. they're, they're just like no this is what I'm writing next and I'm going to get it done yeah um, so I think yeah I think there is there is an attitude shift and there was definitely an attitude shift for me where I, I realized yeah this is what I want to do for the rest of my life and if I'm going to do this for the rest of my life then I have to make sure that I'm doing it the best that I possibly can at any any point absolutely and actually that's leads me slightly onto what a, another point I was going to make I think um, and this goes back to the idea of prolificness and it actually more often being about publishing so you hear about authors being prolific publishing books all the time mm-hmm. um, or stories I guess um, I think part of my problem is that I'm actually very um, almost too choosy about what I want people to read I'm very protective over uh, over what I put out and I've found it quite, I've actually found it quite stifling when I've been blogging never mind um, actual fiction which obviously means a lot more to me um, that I kind of think oh, is this, this, is not, this is not my best work I, know I can do better than this and I find it very difficult to just kind of well yeah, this, is, this is fine, this is good enough it can go out, it can go out as it is you know, I, don't need, I don't need to make this any, any better than it is it's not, a, it's not the most important story in the world so you know, let's just put it out there see what people think mm-hmm. I, kind of, I kind of feel like once it's out there I can't really go back and I, and I need to be 100% happy with whatever I publish which is why I think I've published quite little really um is that something that you've i mean you've been putting stories out um for 38 is it is it, is it weekly uh, yeah weekly there, was, there yeah. was a gap in the middle because the deal with angry robot happened so i started and then that happened it's oh okay so they're being published six months later than yes. i'd scheduled so i had a break and then i started the weeklies again so yeah the, all of them have been written on a weekly deadline um and, and you, yeah Sorry, go on. No, I was going to say, have you, have you ever got to a point where you've where you, where you put something out? And, um, and I, I would never suggest that this was the case myself, of course. This is not in no way an insult. I hope you know that. But <laughs> have you ever thought, crikey, that's not quite as good as it should be, but, you know, my week's up, it's got to go? Uh, yes and no. There, there are times when I'm obsessing and there's a kind of, well, I've got to send it to this week's host in an hour. <laughs> just get on with it so I've got to you know just just do it but what I've found has happened is now I know my rhythm for producing these stories so I make sure that I write the first draft two days before it has to go to the host and then it has a data simmer on the back stove and then I'll go back to it and edit and then my final edit is when I voice record it because I release an audio version as well as a text version every week so when I'm reading it um, for the recording, that's actually my final edit and I'll make my final changes. And so it, it goes through kind of three hard edits before it goes out. Um, and there, there was one story I wrote and I, ne- I nearly died. I, I nearly <laughs> just died from my perfectionist just screaming, oh God, it was awful. I don't even know if I, no, I can talk about it because I mean, come on, don't be so bloody precious. But anyway, I wrote a story for a very um, popular website of a guy who I've been following for years and met him in person and I love it a bit. It's Chuck Wendig. Mm. Um, and I met him at Worldcon and I've been reading his blog for, I don't know, a year, two years or something. So I was really stoked to meet him. We had a fabulous time and uh, he said that he would host a story. So he came up with this really difficult prompt because he, he regularly puts out prompts. And I said, whatever you come up with next, Chuck, I'll write a story to it. And then, of course, 
terrible individual that he is, he came up with this horrifically difficult one. <laughs> and I, I wrote a story to the prompt and I was really, you know, relieved that I'd managed to, to make something out of it. Um, and it turned out that I'd got something wrong. It depended on, um, it, was, it was all about somebody had been sent a riddle. Um, one sorcerer had sent another sorcerer a riddle and he couldn't solve it. So he had tricked this girl, this university student, to solve it for him. Um, and I, work, I literally worked out the solution to the riddle on the back of an envelope, um, not realizing that I'd spelt the word rhythm incorrectly, because I always spell it incorrectly. Easily done. And easily done. And uh, the answer was to do with elements in the periodic table. And it broke it because I released it. People loved it. And then someone wrote a comment and said, look, I love the story and I'm really sorry to do this, but it doesn't work because rhythm is actually spelt differently. <laughs> ah, and that was, oh God, I felt sick because <laughs> I'm a horror, I'm a terrible perfectionist and I suffer from an anxiety disorder. So, you know, anxiety disorder plus perfectionist being pointed out that she'd made a very, very, very public error <laughs> is, you know, almost equals nervous breakdown. So I went downstairs and I cried. And I told my husband, it's like, oh my God, how would I have done that? And then there was the anger. And, <laughs> and then I thought, you know, it's just one short story. Mm. And people still really enjoyed it. And loads of people signed up to get the weekly story. So, you know, you're human. And that is the main thing with stories, that people enjoy them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yes, I know that if I had a month on each story, yes, they would probably be a little bit tighter but what I want to do is to, to bring people into the split worlds with me. I want people to, to be kind of caught up in, in the mystery and the magic of it all. Um, and I know that I am going to be much more fussy about those stories than a lot of people will be when they're reading them. Yes. Because readers and writers are fundamentally different in this, the way that they read stuff. This is very true. Okay, well, we're nearly, we're nearly up with the old time, but there's one sort of final thing that I want to kind of uh, uh, s suggest, and it's kind of what prompted me with, um, with the whole prolificness conversation. So one of the things that I've um, spoken to Mike about in the last series was about, uh, about kind of making money out of blogging. I talked about, we talked about this in various times. We talked about membership schemes and all this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I saw... Um, a few months back a guy who I can't remember which is a very stupid thing to do start talking about something or someone and not have the actual information to hand but I shall put it in the show notes don't worry um, but it's a chap who's uh, an author I don't think he's a, he's a published author as in he's sort of traditionally published I don't think um, and what he, he came he's came up with what I think is a fairly ingenious membership scheme where it sounds like he was doing quite a similar thing to you actually at the moment where he's basically offering I think it's three stories a month actually so he, he, he writes three stories a month and he effectively just sends them out to a mailing list. But in order to get on that mailing list, you have to pay, uh, I think it's, um, it's either £10 or $10, I'm not sure where he's from, um, uh, a year. So it's extremely cheap. So if you're a fan of his stories, you're basically paying $10 or pounds to get um, three times 12, that's 36, 36 stories a year, which is a pretty mm -hmm. good deal. And, um, and I, I kind of, uh, I thought, well, I need to be more prolific. I've been thinking about different ways that I can try uh, this hybrid publishing idea. So, you know, I've got my Angelica that's published traditionally. It's in all the bookshops. But maybe I could do something through the website, something different. And I wondered if, it just seemed like quite an interesting way of, um, of uh, I guess, a self-publishing, but also making sure that you write every week, having people pay for it. You can't let them down then, can you? 
Well, it's true. And it's something that I thought about when I set up the Short Story Club, um, which was... Uh, I mean, I don't run that anymore because I'm doing the Split Worlds. Mm. But I think it was, I don't know, two, three years ago. I can't remember how long ago it was now. Two years ago that I started it. And um, it's, it's a subscription thing. So people have to sign up to um, get the stories. And I thought, you know, could I... Is this something that could be run in exactly the way that you talked about? And I gave it a lot of thought. But I decided against it. Um, and one of the main reasons that I decided against it was because as soon as there's any kind of monetary transaction involved, it fundamentally changes the relationship that you have with your readers. Mm. Um, and it also makes it a very different experience writing. So with the Short Story Club, I had promised them a story every month based on a prompt that had been sent in by the members. And that was enough to make sure that I wrote because I didn't want to let them down. Mm. Now, occasionally, when terrible things happened, it might be a week late. Um, but because there was no money involved, I didn't feel that I was kind of letting them down as a, a kind of professional service provider. It, it suddenly changes it all for me and, and makes it very, very different. The other thing is that with it being a barrier to people signing up, because a lot of people, you know, stumble across you on the web, think, oh, I'll give it a go. Mm. And... You know, those, a lot of the people who are in my short story club have gone on to be very, very dedicated, wonderful. Well, I don't want to use the word fans because I fundamentally <laughs> can't believe that I'm a person who has fans. You can say they're awful. fans. No, I can't. It's just, it's just too terrible. They're people who will go and buy everything I write when it's published. Um, and when I was making that decision back in, in that very early part of my career, it was more important to me to find people who liked reading my stuff than earning a little bit of money every month. So I think that with that kind of model, it, there has to be very careful thought given to what you really want from it. And I think that if you're somebody who's already got several things published, that kind of thing could make a mint of yeah. money because you, know, you already have an established audience who want more from you. Yes. But if you're right at the beginning and you're going to have to persuade people... Even if it's only a tiny bit of money, that's still a barrier, and you could potentially be losing future readers. Yes, and that's kind of that's pretty much was my decision as well. <laughs> I, yeah. kind of, I kind of decided that I one I obviously when I first started thinking about this, I knew that I had twins on the way. I didn't realise I had a redundancy on the way as well, but I kind of thought I'm going to be busy, so I don't want to commit to doing this kind of thing um, mm. at the moment. And I also thought I would probably, if I was to do something like that, I would make it part of. A wider membership so it would be you wouldn't just get the story a month or whatever it might be you would get other things as well so that was the way I kind of thought about it so I'm not in a position to do that just yet but I just thought it was an interesting a very different way of self-publishing and, and, and the other thing I kind of thought I suppose was that um, it was tying back to this idea that once it's out there it's out there it would be mm. I would perhaps think about doing it under the premise that these are almost first drafts of stories that you're getting almost exclusive access to so that in the future say after a year i had um my you know I, I had 36 stories if i was doing three a month then i could potentially go with my agent to a publisher and get them published traditionally as well i mean there was lots of different sort of ways i thought about yeah, it and that was one of the great things about the short story club was a, a large percentage of the stories that ended up in from dark places were originally developed through the Short Story Club and they, they were kind of like polished second drafts. Um, and then when they went through an editorial process and were polished up, they became the absolute best they could be. Um, but the people in the Short Story Club had, had kind of seen their development as well and a lot, of, a lot of the people in the club bought the book 
and were very happy. To, they knew where those stories came from as well. They knew the prompts and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Yes. Um, and there were stories in there which, which weren't in the club and they weren't on the site. I think that's a, a very good point you make about once it's released, it's out there. And I'm very, uh, I'm very aware with the split world stories that once they are published on someone else's site in the public domain, there is very little else that I could possibly, you know, do with them. Mm. Um, and I have to accept that they're out there. But at this point, the, the benefits far outweigh the, the concerns that I would have about them. But, you know, I'm not writing them thinking, and one day I will do, you know, this certain thing with them that will make me lots of money. And I, I don't think, you know, that's, that's ever viable. Um, that's not what they're for. No. Do you know what? I think we've pretty much covered the uh, covered that there. We've we've come to the end of our whatever however long it might be, half an hour ish. But um, I think there was some good advice in there. I think it was mainly delivered by you, but that's fine by me. That's why you. No, no, no! I don't want to give advice. Don't take any Sorry, notice. That was, um, yeah, we're not allowed to say should, are we? I forgot about that. <laughs> no, no, no! I've discussed some personal experiences. Yeah, much Perhaps better. That would much be better. Another way to put it. <laughs> Um, okay, so tell everyone where they can find you on the internet, and uh, if you want to just recap uh, where they can buy your books as well, then go for it. Ooh, um, uh, um, <laughs> I should be able to trot this off, shouldn't I? My website is www.enewman.co.uk. There's loads and loads of stuff on there I haven't posted very recently, but I will do soon. Um, you can go to splitworlds.com to find out more about the Split Worlds and to sign up to get the stories in your inbox. And that's one a week for a year and a day. Um, absolutely free. Uh, I'm on Twitter, like, all the time. And I'm M Apocalyptic on there. So it's E-M Apocalyptic. And, uh, well, Facebook, meh. It's mostly Twitter. Um, so those, those are the places uh, you can find me. And I am Ian Broom on Twitter. That's I-A-I-N-B-R-O-O-M-E. Or you can go to the blog of the podcast, um, and that's ianbroom.com forward slash blog. And, um, and you can find all sorts of exciting stuff there. So thank you very much again, Emma, for joining us. Thank you. Oh, um, I sh- could I just add that um, From Dark Places and 20 Years Later are available um, either from Amazon or from my site because they were published by very teeny tiny presses and uh, the Split World series will be out next year and will be available in all bookshops. You absolutely can mention that and you have. And you can buy our A's for Angelica from all good bookshops as well and Amazon. Yes, run and buy it now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks very much, Emma, and we shall uh, speak to you soon.